electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. Stand by, Andrew, straight up there. CNBC's essential morning show. Which camera? Oh, hello. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. You guys hearing this? Yep. Today on Squawk Pod, Joe, Becky, and Andrew are at the World Economic Forum with the planet's most influential leaders in business and politics. We've got a huge lineup this week. This is uh, our Super Bowl for the world of politics and business. A roundup of the best sound from CNBC's interviews with the CEOs of Verizon, Bank of America, and Citi, plus the leaders of some of the best-known and largest asset managers and hedge funds in the world. And an interview with author, investor, and philanthropist David Rubenstein, co-founder of one of the world's premier private equity firms, the Carlyle Group. Right now, I don't see any prospect of a recession in 2020, so economy's pretty good. The best of the World Economic Forum, day one. Plus, some behind the sounds from Joe and Becky. We're in Davos, Switzerland, in the beautiful Alps. Beautiful scene behind us. Too bad you guys can't see it. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. It's Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back and buy in three, two, one. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The World Economic Forum is exactly that, an economic forum. Michael Corbat, the CEO of Citi, spoke to Joe, Becky, and Andrew about the trajectory of the global economy. When you look at the growth prognostications coming out while we're here, 3.3% global growth down from a 3.4 prediction, but up from 29 for the year. Right. So that's, that's not horrible. And if you get some of these clouds to clear, I think there's still runway left here. Of course, at a conference this size with this caliber of attendees, there's a diversity of perspective and of advice. Ray Dalio, billionaire founder of Bridgewater, the world's largest hedge fund, shared some of his firm's investment strategy. The issue is you can't jump into cash. Cash is trash, okay? <laughs> you have to have a well-diversified portfolio. Now, first of all, you, you have to be global and you have to have balance. Think that you have to have a certain amount of gold in your portfolio, or you have to have something that's hard. Another theme today, and probably all week, trade between the two biggest economies in the world, the U.S. and China. Steve Schwarzman, founder and CEO of Blackstone Group, has a long history of business investments in China and was in the room for the phase one signing, literally. He's confident that phase two is at least a priority for both parties involved. It's in uh, China's interest as well as the U.S. interest uh, to do uh, a phase two deal. Most of the tariffs were not rolled back uh, in this phase one. Uh, so there's a lot of incentive, if you will, uh, to get to phase two. And uh, they're, they're quite serious about that in China. All year on Squawk Box, and certainly as long as we've been delivering you Squawk Pod, guests have been debating capitalism. And that theme is no different at Davos 2020. 
On the broadcast this morning, billionaire hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones, a legendary investor, kept corporate responsibility at the center of his conversation. We know what's happening right now is causing millennials not to believe in the system. We know that there's a threat to free markets. I'd much rather see us change the sharing agreements organically bottoms up, where CEOs put employees first, put the planet and communities and customers on par with shareholders. Also calling for corporate responsibility was Brian Moynihan, CEO of Bank of America. He's also the chairman of the International Business Council, an advisory body to the World Economic Forum itself. If all the companies, our partners at Davos, commit to carbon neutrality, that will help drive the demand for the alternative energies that the power companies need to get them carbon neutral. And the final theme today, new tech. The CEO of Verizon, Hans Vestberg, says 5G is way closer on the horizon than some other things. What comes first? I get a 5G phone or I fly on a 737 Max? 5G phone. With or without 5G, you're getting the best of our Davos coverage right here on Squawk Pod. Coming up. Cheese will be next. Investor, author, journalist, philanthropist, and co-founder of the Carlyle Group. David Rubenstein. If I knew how to solve income inequality, I'd be in Iowa. And I do think companies that worry about more than just shareholder return are probably the companies that are going to get more people buying their stocks in the end, and they're probably going to do better. Plus, Katie Kramer is on set in the Swiss Alps with the anchors. Okay. Okay. Ready? Hi. Hi. Hi, Joe. Hi, Becky. Hi. Hi, Katie. Rubenstein's interview and some behind the scenes of Davos after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. The World Economic Forum was founded 50 years ago, established on the premise that business should serve all stakeholders, meaning employees, customers, communities, and yes, shareholders. But it's not just for CEOs. Previous attendees have included His Royal Highness Prince William, Bono, President Donald Trump, and Jane Goodall, whose conversation with Andrew Ross Sorkin is in Monday's Squawk Pod. Shameless plug. This year, President Trump delivered the opening address. Donald Trump taking the stage here in Davos. Congratulations on your 50th year hosting the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, a truly amazing achievement. And he's just one of around 3,000 people at this conference, an elite 3,000. It's a star-studded crowd and a breathtaking backdrop. But what goes on behind the glamour? Well, I'm here at CNBC's headquarters, which is in New Jersey, FYI. Katie Kramer, your usual host, is in Switzerland with the anchors and a very special production crew. She will be taking us behind the scenes and sounds of Davos 2020 this whole week. Hi, this is Katie Kramer from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Just to tell you a little bit about what Squawk Box does when we're on site here in Davos. 
We're on the roof of the Congress Center, which is where all the action happens of the 49-year-old World Economic Forum every day. And we broadcast our live U.S. morning show here in the middle of the day between about noon and 3 p.m. Uh, it's a beautiful setting in Davos. We have uh, snow-capped Alps behind us, uh, evergreen trees. It's freezing, and we're doing it all outside. So I will bring you a little bit of context and a little bit of information from Becky Quick and Joe Kernan, who had a long day, a long day in the Alpine cold. Speaking of that long day, when the broadcast ended, the team wasn't even finished. They stayed late for this podcast, which means four plus hours without a break longer than your average commercial. And yep, no bathroom breaks. Joe, Becky, and Katie debriefed on their conversation with Carlisle Group co-founder David Rubenstein. If you listen closely, you can hear the alpine wind behind them. But you won't hear Andrew. He left the show mid-broadcast to host a panel and deliver even more once-in-a-year content for CNBC's viewers, you, podcast listeners, and his New York Times dealbook readers. You know, I think what's actually funny is the themes that the World Economic Forum puts out as being the important themes for the week are not the things that people actually end up talking about when they're not sitting on the panels in front of the stage, in front of the group here. Um, Corporate responsibility, I feel like we've touched on that in some places today. But really, so much of what we end up talking about is the global economy, how that's going and how things probably are going to improve this year, just based on the idea that the top two economies in the world, China and the United States, in reverse order, are, are, are now seeming to get along much better, and that creates less friction among so many of the other co- countries that are in each of their spheres, which are so reliant on how those two countries do in terms of their own growth. If China and the United States can get along, along a little better and, and clear up the outlook, not only for other com- countries but other companies as well, that could portend uh, much better things for the year ahead. I came in this morning. First thing I said to everyone uh, in the tent was, it's my fervent wish that this entire forum here could get back to being what it's supposed to be, and that's an economic forum. I want to talk about business. I want to talk about innovation. I want to talk about technology. I want to talk about competition. I want to talk about all these things that get lost in the woke ESG sustainability uh, uh, sort of obsession that millennials or whomever you want to blame it on. I mean, the, the Davos has always been whatever the, uh, the flavor du jour is. It was in, income inequality from all the guys come bringing their corporate jets here. So right. they've always right. been tone deaf and always been high-minded and sanctimonious. And once again, I thought that's what could, I was pleasantly surprised right from the get-go that everyone wanted to talk about the United States economy and what the global economy might be able to learn from the way uh, we've right. differentiated and distinguished ourselves in, in the United States. So I was pleasantly surprised and d- didn't even mind four hours today. Which and, is, and President Trump addressed the World Economic Forum. He did, Forum and, and was well-received, and it's a far cry from two years ago yeah. when he still had the star power, but, but I think there are a lot of question marks about whether it was going to work, and, and even Andrew acknowledged that. And in hindsight now, it was a pretty good reception because... It, it just is what it is. The United States is the strongest economy in the world and the envy of the world. Right, right. One question about David Rubenstein, just because we had him on for a few minutes, and he's obviously a global investor and works with companies all over the world, so is in a unique position to understand how the American economy is being perceived globally. Did you get any messages from him, particularly about optimism from global companies or concerns from global companies? He, he isn't willing to 
draw a, a line between Trump and what's happening in the United States. It says, for whatever reason, the, the U.S. economy is where it is right now, whether it's from Trump or whether it was set up from no, that's not true. He said, he said that some several, of them, but he says, I don't want to trump it. I'm not going to trump it, Trump. He actually said that. At but he also point, said, but. look, a lot of uh, President Trump's policies are responsible for yes. the growth that we have right and now. And David, I, I know him, and he's grudgingly. He, he's, right. he's saying those things, but it has to be acknowledged that he did. And, and the one thing he did acknowledge, business is good for, for, yeah. uh, for mm-hmm. Carlisle and, and for others. Now, you know, we heard about riding a horse, just so you got to know when to slow it down and get off. And I mean, I think that's in the back of everyone's mind because it just seems like it seems like it's too good to be true right now, the length of this expansion. Which worries me, too, because generally when we come to Davos and we hear a lot of people saying great things, uh, in quick succession after that, there's always some sort of pickup in the economy or in the stock market yeah. that takes place. Unless this time around, there's all. Yeah. Right, if it's right. negative here, it gets good. It's if it's, good, right. if it's it, positive, it's It's usually good. a counter-indicator. Like a lagging indicator. Yeah. There's a lot of optimism that we've heard here so, here so far. Um, but there, there are real reasons for it. You kind of po- point back to corporate profits, to plans that economies have, to the removal of some big overhangs that have been with us uh, for the last year or longer. Uh, those are the type of things that people are feeling pretty good about right now here. Here's Joe kicking off the conversation with David Rubenstein, the Carlyle Group co-founder and co-executive chairman. You're a journalist and an interviewer. I want you to interview okay. me and Becky here. Now, what? Okay. No, the only problem is you have real-world experience right. in a lot of go. things. Do you have to totally forget everything you know in the real world to be an effective journalist? Because I have to. No, I don't think so. You just have to use your common sense, good judgment, a little self Oh, I'm kidding. None, of, none of the journalists I know have ever done anything but this. Any, anyway, is the state of the... I was kidding. We're going to interview you again. But we can. it can be a free exchange. I'm happy to interview you. It can be a free exchange. Let's do it that way. So we've had Paul Tudor Jones and Ray Dalio with a plethora uh, of issues that they see uh, with, with the future, whether it's debt or whether it's income inequality. Where are we really, do you think, objectively? Well, as Dizzy Dean, the famous pitcher, said, you know, it's, it's not really bragging if you actually can deliver. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there's some bragging about the economy, but the economy's in really good shape. So people who aren't happy with the president, they may not agree that some of his policies work, but some of these policies seem to be working. So I'm not saying I'm a supporter or a detractor of his. I'm just saying that the policies seem to be working. The U.S. economy is in reasonably good shape. Who would have predicted a year ago that we'd be where we are today? Nobody would have, probably. So the economy is doing pretty well. It may never stay this strong for a long time. You never know. But right now, I don't see any prospect of a recession in 2020. And I also think unemployment is going to stay low. Interest rates will stay low. So economy is pretty good. Becky, we... Every once in a while, Druck will send something in. So he watches, Stan Druck, last week. This is a fact. He said, when, when people start talking about capitalism not working, he said, tell them this. For every billionaire created, 250,000 people have been lifted out of poverty in the last 10, 20 years. So well, look for at China. each billionaire, 250,000. Is that a fair trade? China has more billionaires than the United States, but also about a billion people have been lifted out of poverty, maybe 800 million have been lifted out of poverty since China has really become part of the global economic scene. So, yes, uh, there are a lot of billionaires in China, but China's economy overall for everybody is much better. What's our biggest problem right now? Is it sustainability? Is it climate change? There are is lots it- of problems. You always have problems. What would life be when you didn't have problems, right? So problems are, number one, I think we do have a lot of debt we have to pay off at some point, $23 trillion of Can debt. Can we do that? At some point, I don't know if we pay, pay it off. off. Can we manage it? We can can we man- manage right it? now it's manageable, but at some point it'll have to be dealt with. If interest rates go up, that could be a problem. Uh, number two is I do think we have income inequality and lack of social mobility. So the people at the top are doing well, but we have 
people at the bottom who are not really rising up. And one of the reasons is we have a large uh, uh, problem with literacy. 14% of the people in this country cannot read above a fourth grade level. That's a problem. 14% cannot read above a fourth grade level. And, and, and right now, 80% of the people in juvenile delinquency system are functionally literate. Two-thirds of the people in our federal prison system are functionally literate. So that's a problem. You have in- income inequality and social mobility problems. You have debt problems. And you also have the fact that, oh, eventually, in my lifetime and your lifetime, we're going to have to deal with the entitlements issue. We have a large entitlements that we're True. obligating to pay people, and we probably can't pay them fully uh, as much as we promised. So we heard, have to be dealt with. We heard from Paul Tudor-Jones about profit margins in 1970, where they are now, and, and that the, the amount of sharing from corporations between shareholders and employees is at the lowest level ever, as if it, it almost sounded as if corporate America got greedy, and I think it doesn't take into account the way we became a, a global uh, player, and all the labor moved offshore at $3 an hour, and that, that hurt a lot of our middle class and, our, and, and low class people, and that, that's the thing. Aren't we trying to do the, 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 the things that would, bring, that would reverse that? And, and some of this American, America first mentality may be warranted given what's happened. There's virtually no economy in the world that wouldn't like the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. The economy is doing pretty well for a lot of the reasons we discussed. Secondly, when you think stock market does well, obviously people at the top do well, but who owns these stocks? Largely, it's pension funds. They still argue that's not true, that only 50% of Americans own, even directly or indirectly, any stock. Well, but that's indirectly, I think almost everybody owns think, something because right. they, have, they have pensions. Their pensions are, are own so much of the, of the, uh, of the stock and pensions the stock market. Pensions are harder and harder. Come so, Yes, but there's a lot of existing pension funds. State employees have pension funds. 401ks. A lot of, and 401ks. So... The truth is, I think the U.S. economy can always be better, can always be fairer, but it's in reasonably good shape. And, for example, one year ago, when we were here, people were thinking the U.S. economy couldn't get any better, but it did. Now, President Trump said today it was his policies. Maybe there are other things that we're taking into account as well. Um, who thought we'd get a China deal as soon as we did? We weren't sure the USMCA would go through. So I don't want to be uh, trumpeting his policies only. I think the Democrats have done a lot to make things better as well. I think the USMCA is better because of some of the things they did. And I do think that they were pushing for a good, strong China deal as well. But in the end, right now, the U.S. economy is in pretty good shape. So, oh. Well, I was just going to say, Brian Moynihan was here earlier, Bank of America. Right. They're now paying a minimum wage of $20 an hour for every employee that's there. They do a lot of profit sharing back, $1,000 bonuses for the, almost the entire employee base. Well, the financial system in our country has done pretty well. Who would have thought 10 years ago that the banks <coughs> would be as strong as they are now? The banks are stronger than they've ever been in their history. J.P. Morgan just had record profits. Bank of America is doing very well. Uh, all the banks are doing pretty well. And I think that's filtering down into the global economy. But I don't want to make it sound like I'm Pollyannish. We do have some challenges. But is that what you think companies need to be doing to address the inequality? That it, it, look, in some cases, it's what the Fed's done with uh, with quantitative easing that has built up the inequality. But does it need to be resolved by companies doing step, taking steps like that? And would you invest in companies that were doing that? If I knew how to solve income inequality, I'd be in Iowa. <laughs> um, nobody really knows how to solve that problem. I do think, for example, solving literacy problems at the bottom would be helpful. I do think. Uh, increasing the minimum wage is helpful. Mm-hmm. And I do think sh- companies that worry about more than just shareholder return are probably the companies that are going to get more people buying their stocks in the end, and they're probably going to do better. Um, we need to match skill sets with, with people that are coming up. Obviously, it's not, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Private sector needs to help with that. We probably need to, to 
spend money on education more effectively. Where do we get the money from that? You don't like wealth taxes, it's never worked. Do we, do, we need to, do we need more revenue? Do we need to, to reallocate the revenue we have right now? How would you do it? Well, the tax revenues right now are probably a little bit lower than historically they've been. And I would say probably whoever is president next time will probably have to adjust taxes, be my guess. Nobody will say that right now. But I suspect there'll probably have to be some adjustment in taxes down the road uh, because we don't have enough money to pay our, our expenses. The U.S. Treasury is running a, about a $1.3 trillion annual deficit now, and we have to deal with that. You can't keep running these deficits ad infinitum. Unless you cut the spending. You can cut spending. But reallocate it's, it's easier in some ways to increase taxes than cut spending. It, in other words, it sounds like it should be the opposite, but sometimes it's easier to increase taxes because people don't notice it quite as quickly. So and what you do you do? Can you get road. rid of some loopholes? You, you can raise the, would you raise the top marginal rate? It, it, it's hard to get enough money from just rich people. I mean, do you want to raise rates across the board? There aren't enough rich people. I mean, if you took the money away from all the Forbes 400 people, that's not going to solve all your problem. The problem is the middle class, and the problem is taxing the middle class is very politically difficult to do. Right now, the average family of four in the United States, what do you think they make? $300,000, $400,000? How about sixty-five dollars to 70000 Right. That's the average family of four. You, that's the middle class. You want to tax those people? It's hard to do. If you tax people only above $250,000, you're taxing about 2% of the population. It's not enough of them. So right. what do you so think of idea? the Democrats' plans, or some of the Democratic candidates, I should say, who have plans to spend much more right. on health insurance, on health care, on education Boring. and other issues? Well, when you run for president, I've been in presidential campaigns, it's easy to say you're going to do this and that. Getting these things through the Ways and Means Committee and through the Senate Finance Committee is not that easy. It's not easy coming up with plans that are actually going to make a big difference. At the moment, I think the economy is in reasonably good shape, and I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to interrupt unless we have a war of some type that we don't anticipate. I, the president's speech here was, you know, reasonably well received. And this is not his crowd, by and large, but I think it was reasonably well received. He, he read from the, the speech that was uh, prepared in part by Larry Kudlow and his lot of advisors, and he obviously had input in it. And uh, I think it was reasonably accurate from his point of view about what he's done. Um, other, other people would disagree, but I think he gave a statement here that was probably better received than the statement he gave two years ago. All right. We got problems, but we got a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be optimistic about. And Trump is, you know, when Andrew Ross Sorkin writes a piece that he's being well-received in Davos, it has to be true. And he wrote that this morning. So it's he, a better reception this time than two years ago. I was just in a reception with him with lots of business people, global business people. And honestly, they all wanted their picture taken with him. Nobody was shunning him. So whether that was true a couple of years ago, I don't know. But everybody seems to be happy with him. Now, obviously, this is the elite of the elite. So I'm not saying the average person on the street is as happy as maybe the elites are. So the, the elites those are, are the happy. deplorables that are happy. There's 63 yeah. million of them. You're the ones we, that he's trying to win over, not the, not the normal people. Well, they're not enough of me. He's got to win over the average person. Okay. Can I ask you one more yes, question just sure. about China? You, you know, you're so tightly, so closely sourced in Washington. You have a really good idea of what's happening. Uh, when we talked to you in August, you said that you thought a phase one trade deal would be signed within four months. That's, that's about the time right. that we got it done. That, right. that it was something that happened. Is there going to be a phase two before the election? No, there will not be. And the president himself has pretty much said that. Yeah. I think phase two is much more complicated than phase one. And I think phase two, whoever is president of the United States, could not probably get a phase two done in the next you know, six months. It's too complicated. But I think a phase two can be done in, in next two years or so. But it's a complicated thing because you've got to change the way the economy is run in China. It's not that easy to do. Better that we have a phase one and that tensions have died down? The best thing about phase one is it will have some impact that will be positive. But the best thing is it reduces the global tension between China and the United States. And I was just in a meeting with the vice premier of China. 
and um, the global tensions are so much lower than they were before. Yeah. So I think that's the best thing that, that happened because and of phase one. we're on a path. We're on a path I, towards I think we're not two. fighting with each other as much. And whether we get phase two done in a year or two, I don't know. But it's, we're not going to have the tensions that we had before on, on economic matters. When you interview people on, on your show, you, you ask tough questions. You try to do that. You, you feel like you, you need to, right? So we asked Schwartzman, Trump or Bloomberg, who would you pick, Trump or Bloomberg? You know, as you get older, your hearing um, goes down. <laughs> what do you do when guests don't? What do you, what's your tact when guests don't answer questions that you ask? What do you try to do? I go on to the next question. How, okay. How no, about Trump versus Biden? Who do you pick? Um, pick for who's going to win or who's... Who, who's good, who would you vote for? Well, I generally don't like to say who I'm going to vote for because I think it's important for people to maintain some privacy. I haven't seen all the facts yet, but there's no doubt that... Uh, Joe Biden would be a very strong candidate. And Mike Bloomberg. And remember, I do some things on Bloomberg TV. I'm very partial to Mike. And I think he'd be a strong candidate. Uh, so would Biden. Um, you know, I, I think uh, there's unfortunately there's no private equity person running for president right now. And that's a big problem that people in Iowa are commenting and on. Make, and that person will make sure your carried interest doesn't go away. Got it, David. OK. All right. E- excellent. Thanks a lot. I don't actually. What any, is your voter? <laughs> I don't collect any carried interest anymore. But okay, I understand. I don't get it. All right, David, thank, thank you. you very much. My it's pleasure. Great to Can see I come you. on your show sometime? And absolutely. Liar. Tomorrow. Has a live audience. You I can, can tape it today. I'm going to get. Oh, let me. I'll send you my email. All right, I can do it today. I've got a camera here. People today can spend half their lives over fifty, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older. Like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. That's the show for today. On our rundown tomorrow, another big day in Davos. We'll be bringing you the highlights from our conversations with Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JPMorgan Chase, the CEO of BP, Bob Dudley, plus some more behind the scenes and behind the glamour. What was the emodium there? Uh, wow. Maybe four years ago? That's really, that's great for listeners. It's every the reality. Day. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. But tomorrow you can catch an extra hour of our Switzerland show. We start at 5. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our sometimes four-hour-long TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine that, the best of the billionaire conversations for free. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 